Nothing's working right. But you know what? I'm reminded when sometimes when when we're doing our worst, God's doing his best. Amen. He must be gonna kick it tonight. Okay. So uh, you know, it's funny when we met Jamie fifteen years ago now. Uh, what was the big tornado that happened in Joplin, I believe? Yeah. I remember she was coming down. Some of you guys have heard this story. And we were on the Bible bus, is what they called the bus. It was the Bible bus, right? It was camoed up, kind of gnarly looking. It sure ran a lot better back then. Before our, our mechanics in this church got hold of it, ran great. But anyway, that's a whole other story, and that's the truth. That's the, that's the truth. The more they work on it, the worse it gets, whatever. But anyway, it was called the Bible bus, and, and Jamie would be out there. You see, she was cooking. And uh, somebody put a, a, a tick on it. Hey. That girl over there, she leads worship. Oh, really? We all we have is this old drunk on a guitar. It was pretty good though. Remember Paul? I loved him, but he just couldn't quite kick it. He said, "You can't do that while you're working." Okay, Jamie, can you do it? Yes, she did. And aren't you glad she said yes? Yeah. She's been yeah. We've been doing all kinds of stuff today over the years, right? So were you praying for your trip? And yeah. So anyway. Uh, <clears throat> Concerning the Bible bus, uh, every time I call Pete, I can sense him uh, puckering up a little bit. <laughs> when I say I have an idea. Hate it. And I, yeah, I usually snap. I'm kind of a bug. And he's like, oh, yeah? What is it? Something along those lines. Here's my idea. Spray the bus. That's my assumption as we get it running. We spray it satin white. And then we write the book of John from the front all the way around. Right? And then the red letters, that's right. doesn't matter, it all matters, but, and the whole bus becomes a rolling stone. How about that? So what we'll do, we'll spray it, we'll take care of that, and that'll get done well. There, and I'll do that. <laughs> that's a challenge. I'm going to have to show up to keep our mechanics fixed in our thing. Anyway, it'll be painted there, maybe Rich can just pull us around. <laughs> so we're going to do that, and we're going to ask you guys, hey, Betty, come in and write the first check. Or write the first verse. Fellas, you got great handwriting, I'm sure, right? Ladies? Okay, no, okay, great, job. Just kidding, just kidding. But the point is, we want to get the gospel into streets, right? So when I was a kid, you guys remember we're in a series? That was extra, by the way. We we're going to be recruiting some people to help us write the book of John. On the bus. How cool would that be? So when we go to car shows, people go, oh, here come the Jesus freaks. Yeah, because you know what? As far as I know, the cars didn't die for you. Jesus did. Well, I love cars. I, I love them. We had a great time. We, we, we enjoyed each other. But there's no cars. No cars in heaven. It's all rust. We're going to do that. We're going to deliver the gospel. It's going to be a good time. We're going to enjoy each other because we believe Christians should be fun, not late. So if you're a lame Christian, find somebody fun and have a mentor. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're in a series. You know what the series is called? Oh, you guys are good. Sharp tonight. Unsung heroes. People you may not have heard of, but you should have. I tell you a story about my dad. Okay, he looked a lot like me, except a little more shriveled up because he was 80 so. But anyway, I love my dad. My dad loved me. He didn't really know how to share it too much uh, when I was younger. But he got better, you see. Sometimes we get better, we get older. But Anna, would you agree? I can get on Facebook, but I can't do much. Len's always been good. I've been working this. You know, being a dad, being a father, it's not easy. It takes practice. It takes intentionality, right? 
to be able to communicate with our kids and say, how much I love you, I care about you. We can tell you, I care about you. I love you. But something about our own is just so dumb. So we got to break through that. We're trying, right? When I was a kid, I would go to my dad for advice. And you know what he would tell me? Well, whatever floats your boat. I was like, man, that's a, that's a messed up counsel. For real. Whatever floats your boat. Well, I, trust me, I floated a lot of boats. All kinds of different things floated my boat, actually. And I remember a lot of the things that floated my boats. But I remember this one particular time. Uh, I had this really hot C-28. It was a 79. It was, a, it was awesome. There, am I right? I'm lying at night. This is a hot car. I read and it was bad. I blew it up, put something batter in it, Timmy loved it. It was pretty bad. But we had a pinhole you see in the radiator hose and we kept losing every time we'd heat up. It would heat up and all the antifreeze would escape. So I'm, I'm going, what the heck? I couldn't find it, Pete. Because it wouldn't leak. You know, I'd get out and say, dang, eh. That's about all I knew. Well, I guess it's fine. I put more water in it. Put more water in it, right? My dad comes home one time and says, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm putting water in the uh, radiator. Oh, you need to not do that. Why? Well, because you see, antifreeze has lubricants in it, and you're going to mess up your water pump. Yeah, whatever, old man. Yeah, like you know. Well, <clears throat> wouldn't you know it? The very next day, not three days after, not three, not 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 a month. You guys looked after me before I even knew him. Right. I had a father that cared about me, but I didn't talk to him because I thought he was mad at me. I just kind of did my own thing. Maybe at the end of my life, I'd turn a report card, I'd skate on about a day. <laughs> P-minus. You know, anyway, so, well, I get home, and I, I was going to work, and I ended up, oh, man, my water, my water pump's out. I got to turn around and go home. I went out, pulled it in the garage, and I'm, <laughs> I could before Norm got home. I didn't quite make it. Hear it coming around. <laughs> little 68 Ford. And I had this weird thing. And every time I'd been bad, I hated it. Every time I did good, which wasn't that good, but often, I would love to hear it. There's a whole other series that we're not going to get into. But anyway, he pulled in, he walks by like this. Had his lunchbox, you know, the old school lunchbox with the thermos in it, and just walked on by. Because you know what? He knew I wasn't going to take your advice. I wasn't going to listen to you. I was going to have to go and learn the hard way. That when the father speaks, he means business. He probably knows what he's talking about, right? You guys know where I'm going with this. Yeah, come on, man. Well, who was the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus? What gender? Who had the longest conversation with Jesus? It's recorded anyway. And oh, another woman. So you would think in that culture, uh, especially, Jesus wanted to make sure that he esteemed women. He esteems people from the lowest in man's eyes. He picks you up where he meets you and he brings you up to the level so you matter to me. I don't care what they say. You see, you matter to me. That's what Jesus does. And I think it's cool that he chose women. I just think it's everything that Jesus did was intentional. He didn't just, I just, wow, so crazy. Just, Bumped into the Samaritan woman. Wow, thanks, you know. He said, I have to go and meet her. And I, I, you know, I, I have to. In fact, I'm going to go out of my way. I, I'm going to cut through the heart of Samaria and actually meet her. 
Anyway, it's a whole other thing. We're not going to go there either. No squirrels tonight. Thank you. So we're going to talk about a woman named Abigail. You guys heard about Abigail? What a woman. Turn to your Bibles. To 1 Samuel 25. And Reagan, I have more notes. This. Oh, Reagan's teaching. Every time I bring my notes, she teaches. And we were always recruiting for kids' teachers. Correct? And tech team, too. It was YouTube, sorry. It was YouTube. Let me give you a backdrop of what's going on here. Remember a few weeks ago we did this story about uh, Dave when he when he spared Saul's life. Remember that? He spared him. He had him in the crosshairs, boy. He had him and he didn't do it. Right? So he was, his will was swallowed up by the will of the fathers at that point. Doulos. Remember that fancy Greek word? When your will, when one will is swallowed up by somebody greater than yours, you're surrendered to Christ. Uh, so it's actually considered the same thing as a slave. A bond slave. Paul talks about it. But anyway, at this point, David was saying, uh, not my will, but your will. Right? And that's only in chapter 24. Now, I don't know what the timeline between that story and the one we're going to share tonight, but something happened that David just slipped me going, not your will, but my will. You guys ever had those moments when it's like, I'm just feeling like David on Monday, and then by Tuesday, you're checking Jesus. What happened? The hack up was just like, well, hey, let's do it. I'm on the mountain. And then you, next day, you're in death valley. Right? It's just kind of, kind of life. It's called being human. Read Romans chapter 7 in your quiet time. Here we go. We're going to walk through this thing. Uh, so David's on the run. Uh, he's running from Saul. He's running all over the place. By this time, he's accumulated a pretty nice group of fellows. About 600. Some noble, in debt, or not noble, non-noble, in debt, some real nefarious characters, characters, but they became his mighty armor, mighty men of David. So he's on the run, and then we're going to step into the story. Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at the house of Ramah. Let me say this about that. When Samuel died, David's probably going, uh-oh. You see, Samuel, in a sense, could actually control a little bit of what Saul was doing. As soon as he heard, and all Israel heard, hey, Samuel's dead. David's probably going, uh-oh, time to hit the bridge. Boys, pack it up, saddle up the horse, let's go. We're going to leave here because... There's nothing to control him anymore, not that Samuel had control, but there was a semblance of control through the prophet Samuel. Once Samuel died, it was game on, and David knew, I'm in trouble. Right? Okay. Sometimes I read these little notes in here, and I wonder, what was Slim thinking? I mean, what was Randy and Lynn thinking? Okay. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maia. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it was sheer sheer, sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. Stop right there. First of all, you know what Nabal means, or Nabal? Fool. Fool. It also means no reverence for God. You know people like that? They don't care. Oh, yeah, they're fools. The Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know the worst thing about a fool? They're the last person in the room that knows it. 
Everybody else around there was a fool. He's like, but this Nabal had no regard for God. And at sheep shearing time, sheep shearing time happened in the early spring, and they would get together. It wasn't like a religious festival, but this is a pretty big deal. They get out there and they cut the sheep down, and they, you know, they make wool and yarn and all of this stuff. Now here's the thing: as I was reading this account, I remember Barry had this dog, and I hated him. Come on, Rusty loved it. Well, Barry, you have to admit, Rusty was a jerk. He was a lots of lots of lots of lots of something. And he was kind of like Barry's brother. You guys meet Barry's brother at the car show? You wonder, well, how did that happen? But anyway, Rusty was like that. He was the meanest, honoriest, gun to He was like that little cartoon character. You walk down the street, just walk in front of his house, and he's going to come down there and bark at you and growl. I was like, what did you do to him? Right? And, and the longer his hair got, you see, the worse he got. Well, I remember when he would take him into the, the, the groomer, <laughs> he would cut his hair off, and Rusty was like, what's up? Like he, he got attitude. For real. I mean, it, he changed his personality. Well, come to find out, these sheep, when you cut their hair off, they, they've been known to jump for joy. They just jump around, and, like, and, and the farmers or the, the herder guys are like, this is amazing. Look at my sheep. You know, when you decide to let something go in your life, when you decide to let something go that's been bogging you down, the reason they did this because these sheep would overheat, you see? And they would eat, and they'd get matted up, and they'd get all gross and funky because all the dirt and all the contaminants and all this stuff. And they would just have to run through this cleaner. When they ran through the cleaner every now and again, once a year, they would feel this sense of, wow, I feel so good. It's like coming to Jesus sometimes. When you've been an idiot, you got mud and funk all over you, and you're weighed down with struggles and sin, and you just jump. Uh, and you come to Jesus and say, can you clean me up? Give me the shears. I suggest we need shears like once a week. If you don't like it like me, more like once a day. Jesus, clean me up. This stuff is bogging me down. It's impeding my walk. I can't walk with you. I can't enjoy you because I'm so burdened with this funk of the world, this filth that we go through. I'm saying, be like Rusty. Not that part of Rusty, the good part of Rusty. Be like Rusty when he had hair cut because he was just a lot nicer. That's a good point, guys. That's a good point. Thank you, Jesus. He gave me that when I thought about Rusty because Rusty really was a kinder, gentler jerk when he was. Really was. So anyway, that was a pretty big deal. It happened in the early spring. And ironically, uh, Abigail, you know what her name meant? I thought this was cool. My father's joy. Do you know that because of Christ, you're your father's joy? You're your father's joy. Even Peter is his father's joy. I don't know Pete quite well. Sometimes he's not my joy. He's definitely the father's joy. Joshua, you're the father's joy. Candy, you. Chris, you. All you guys. Girl. You know, it goes on and on and on like that, you see. Because you are the apple of his eye. You are. I mean, you did all of this stuff for you. For me, you're the... And just in case I didn't say apple of eye, do I have to go around and tell everybody, you're the apple, you're the apple, you're the apple, you're the apple. Mike, he didn't look at me when he said apple of eye. You kind of get the point, though. When you come to Jesus and you accept who he is, accept what he did for you, you are instantly put into this category called the apple of his eye. His joy. Isn't that great? That's great news, guys. That's a great time for hallelujah because sometimes I don't feel I feel like more like Rusty than the... Sorry about Rusty. I've got to hear this all day. Do you really don't like Rusty? No, I hate him. 
I did. But Nabal was a descendant of Caleb. Was crude and mean in all of his dealings. You guys remember Caleb? Not the intern, another Caleb. You guys remember Caleb from the Old Testament? <clears throat> what did he do, Linda? Yes. So they went into the promised land. All the other people were just so scared. They're just like huge. You see those guys? They're like grasshoppers. Caleb's like, ain't nothing. We'll take him. So he was a man of great faith, this Caleb. He was like, we will whip them down. We will. You will whip them down. And we will do it. Okay? But the point is, to this, I thought it was really cool. So here he is, Nabal, is a descendant. You have to make your own faith. This can't be your mom's. This can't be your dad's. You can't be your great grand uncle. Did you hear about my great, great, great grandfather? He was a preacher. Well, that's great for him. He hasn't done squatting the college before. So I've done it before. So I'm glad the Uncle Tester or whatever was there. This is a personal thing. You have to make a decision. You have to decide to follow Jesus. You have to decide to pick up your cross and carry it. Right? By the way, anybody that showed up last night, thank you. Thank you for coming and celebrating the Robbie King's life. It was really a, he doesn't care. It's all our pleasure. He, 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 he doesn't care. Robbie and Jesus, he's fine. But it meant a lot to, to us because we wanted to do it right. So thank you for coming. Especially on a Friday of Memorial Day weekend. Now, how dare they follow me in the middle of the night? I'll be very bad. I got my notes. I'm going to go back and forth. I'm trying to do this new thing. A lot of times I just put these things in my Bible. I'm just doing these little notes. And when I'm in the spirit, when I'm studying, sometimes when I'm in up here, not that I'm, you know, we want to be in the spirit. I'm not in the spirit. You guys don't. What's the point of that? Right? But sometimes it seems like in the morning, God, you were on a different frequency this morning. And that's why I decided to take notes. So if you see me going back and before the notes, you'll know what I'm doing. Just calm down. Simmer down. It's going to be all right. Okay? Thank you, Ready? <clears throat> so when David heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. Right? Sound good? I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. And that, that word actually is this. Ready for it? Write this down. I thought it was cool. Hagaha gets. That's sheep shearing time. H A G dash H A dash G E Z. Just thought it Forget I throw it out there for a little bumps. You know, I don't speak Hebrew, but it sounds something like that. Probably sounds like yes. springtime. There you go. Peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I am told that it's yes. While your shepherd stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time, this celebration, the big deal. I mean, there's some big big stuff going Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and your friend, David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. This is nothing new. This is what they did. This would have been customary. He's not asking for something that, oh, I've never heard of something. 
really? This happened all of the time. You would go and the Davis men, some bad dudes out there, and they would protect, and they would be kind of like guns for hire in a sense. They would just, all they would ask is, hey, when we come to your place, can you feed us, can you water us, can you take care of us, all of this type of thing. Completely a normal thing. Now you come to my house and ask me to feed you and I don't know about it, they're like, just kidding. I'm working, I'm working on hospitality, it's, it's, I'm working on it, yeah. But in this time, it would have been nothing unusual. But what is unusual is his response. Now remember, his name means, okay. And certainly, before I get into this, certainly he would have heard about David by now. <laughs> Even though David uh, was on the run from Saul, it would have been well known that he is the anointed king. Samuel spoke this into his life years ago. And when Samuel spoke the, God, the words God, of God, it is going to happen. Just like today, when Alpha was up here saying these promises, it will happen. It's going to happen. If you might avoid his work. Oh, that's right, they did. It's going to happen. So he would have known. He would have heard of this. David. He would have known about this merry band of misfits he was traveling with. He would have known all of it. Who is this fellow David? Right now, you moved into idiot category. Actually, stupid because he's not ignorant. So he would have been well. He would have known. So you moved from ignorant because ignorant would imply that he didn't know who the man David was. He is now stupid. The ball steered to the young man. Who does the son of Jesse think he is? How do you know he was the son of Jesse if he didn't know? He knew it's, <laughs> it. Yeah, so he knew who he was. There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? How about that? You know, it's funny because when you run in groups, you're known by your peers a lot of times, right? The people you run with, they say, well, you know who we run with, you guys. That's who we run with. You're our family. So we're surrounded by all of you guys. So people know us as the Misfits, a community of faith out here in Warrington, though, right? David was surrounded by these, well, we know him as mighty men of valor, amen. But back then, they're going, you're just hanging around thieves. You know, God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. You know that, right? So many of you were, you know, losers. We talked about that two messages ago, right? And so you came and gave your life to Jesus. Instantly, you're transferred into the winter column, vicariously through the victory of Christ, right? So you're no longer Keith the inmate, Josh with a motorcycle man. I don't know what you did when I saw your face, but you were a complete idiot. <laughs> and you're in great comfort, right? Because he chose the foolish things to shame the wise. We delight in our weaknesses, because we're weak, he is strong, right? He's the hero in the story, not us. Praise God. We're with him, and it's imputed to us. How about that? Imputed righteousness, a big word. I'm the righteousness of Christ. It's on me, you, and you, and you. Amen? We ought to walk like that a little bit. Not with a bravado. We ought to, we're kings, sons, and daughters. We ought to carry ourselves a little bit different. The world ought to look at us and go, hey, man, I want what those young fellows have. I really do like the hair, too. I like to have a little bit of that. But that's a whole other story. You have Jesus in your heart. And everybody that meets you should know, I have Jesus on my heart. 
and I'd like you to share it with you. It's imputed righteousness. You're perfect. Even though you're all kind of jacked up. Positionally, we're perfect. Practically, we're still working on a few things. Amen. A lot of us are working on a lot. Whatever. Doesn't matter, but positionally, okay? Let's talk about position. Let's talk about our Jesus, what he says about us. Right? Okay, here we go. Oh, one more thing. I have a little note here. Slide over there. No, not quite. Number two. <clears throat> you ever notice how being a Christian, you could have a five-year body of work, a ten-year body of work, a 15-year body of work, a 20-year body of work of doing good and noble tasks for the Lord, and the one thing that sticks is when you blow it, that sticks like glue. Amen. You ever notice that? They don't remember all the people that you helped over the years, all the things that you've done in the name of Jesus and all the people that come to salvation. They remember that one thing or that one episode that you went through. And they go, what about that? That makes me love my Jesus all the more. Because he saw all of it, right? And not only that, but he worked it all for good. I don't have to guess. I hope he, I just really hope he works it all for good. I know he will work it all for good because that's what he said he would do. And with the very thing the devil meant to kill me, he worked it for good. Isn't that great? So that's why it's so important to know that because don't go right to that thing. What about that? Huh? Take it to Jesus because he said he doesn't remember it. Amen. You do. You keep bringing it up. He ain't bringing it up. Some of you guys need to forgive yourself. The devil's in your head saying, what about that? You can't possibly be a Christian, but if you did that, you said, I don't remember that, and neither does Jesus. In fact, it was nailed to the cross about 223 years ago. I'm walking, and I'm free of it. I think that's a word for somebody. You're dragging around this stuff. How about this? Go to the shearers. Be like Rusty. Get rid of it. Offload all that junk right onto the cross where it belongs. You don't, can't carry it. It'll bog you down and stop you from moving forward. You can't, Right? A lean, mean fight machine like Rusty. What do you get church to say, be like Rusty? Everybody, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. Barry had this dog as a jerk. See, I used to be a jerk too. I was not like Rusty. I'd bark at people and all this stuff. And then I gave my life to Jesus. Man, he cleaned me all up. And every once in a while, I still got to go by the shearing, see? Because we all need to confess ourselves one to another. That's good, isn't it? We should do that. Be bear right those shirts. Like those shirts. Be like Rusty. I'm telling you. Anything to promote a conversation about Jesus. How about get creative? <laughs> right? Okay, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. So David's young man returned and told him what Nabal had said. <laughs> First of all, let me say this about Bradley Cooper. No squirrel, thank God, because it's potatoes. David loved the Lord with all of his heart, all of his mind, and all of his soul. He was a man after David's own heart. He was also a deeply flawed man. Even though he had all these battles and he would just whip down the Philistines, the Amalekites, the termites, all the ice, he whooped them down. The very thing he couldn't get over was his own lust and his own heart. But he still was a man after God's own heart, right? So here he is, as Bradley Cooper. How does that tie with Bradley Cooper? Because guys like David, he was an artist. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was a musician. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on, right? He was an amazing person. I mean, you to meet him, but he was also deeply flawed. I was watching a show one time with Lynn. 
of you guys that know it, the looks are pretty much gone. They'll outwardly waste away, inwardly I mean when you do, and I'm getting hopeless by that fact. Well, Bradley Cooper popped onto the show, and I'm looking at it, instantly hated him. Just kidding, I didn't just relax. And uh, one's looking at me, looking at me, and I'm going, oh, here we And he started singing, talking French. And then he started singing a song. And then he took his shirt off or something. And, and then Lynn said this. You know, guys like that really make it hard on people like you. <laughs> Thank you. But you fell in love with my insight. It's like God falls in love with man looks at the outside. God looks at your heart. Like, Thank God. <laughs> but that was funny. And, you know, real men love God. Real women love God. And I will say this. I'm going to talk, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to talk about Proverbs 31 in, in a moment. <coughs> Meanwhile, one of Nabal's. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messages from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men had been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, or there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered, no one can even... You ever meet people, they want to hear the good stuff. They come to you for counsel. That's why I say, I have people in my life right now that I won't give counsel to. I just say, whatever floats your boat. I may not say it like that, but I have no constructive criticism for them. I don't really just, it just kind of keeps them on the peripheral because they couldn't handle the truth. You couldn't handle the truth. You couldn't handle the truth. They really can't. They can't handle it. You, they want to hear, hey, attaboy, attaboy. And then the second you get you might want to, no, no, I'm not hearing it. No, I'm not hearing it. In fact, I hate you. Like, so fine. That's cool. I got nothing to say. I don't. I love you. I care about you. appreciate you. All that stuff, all those things, all those platitudes. But I got nothing good to say to you or evil. Just going to keep up the cardinals. You hear that? Isn't that amazing? Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 9. And I refer to this a lot because I think it applies a lot. <clears throat> and Lynn and I were talking. She said, well, a lot of times, um, you'll ask my opinion, but you always go to yours. I said, do you really? I guess I think mine are better. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Not always. But I, okay, guys, we're working on it. We're working on it. Just relax. When you've been married 35 years, you could do that too. But a lot of times I go, oh, my head to your blue. Let's go with yours. It's a lot better. You know. Okay, just relax. Calm down, everybody. Proverbs 9 and verse 7. Now listen close. Listen close if you are one of the people that have a tough time receiving constructive criticism. Is there anybody you can think of that would intentionally say something that hurt you? Like, I got a great idea. This person I have to speak a truth to this person. I can't wait to hurt them. 
That'd be like some kind of sick evil, like a like a single what, whatever that. Yeah, single one of those guys. Just an idiot. Nobody would do that. I, I, I maybe there's somebody, but I certainly would. Any pastor worth his cloth would not do that. Any ministering leader worth his salt would not do that to a person. If you ask them your opinion and they give you an opinion and it differs from yours, you can instantly go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. And if it doesn't line up with the Bible, then chuck it. But if you're coming to them for advice and they share their heart with you, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. You ever had that happen? Mm -hmm. I just love to hear all the good stuff. Don't say anything. Look at Jeremiah. We don't, bring me a good, bring me somebody to tell me some good stuff. This joker here is always doing bad stuff. You know, bring me something good. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Fear the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be one the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the ones to suffer. You guys get that? Write that down and meditate on that. Because, you know, we should be able to speak. You know, you're not supposed to judge. I don't know why I do this character. But it just seems like it gets more emphasis. If I just stood up here, you're not supposed to judge. It doesn't do the same thing. I want you, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the rusty star. I want you to remember this. That make sense? Yeah. So... Ask God, can I receive constructive criticism if a brother and sister comes to me in love, with grace, and respect that we should as believers? Are they judging me or are they simply saying, I want to help you? Am I that person? Because I want to be wise. Anybody want to be wise? Who wants to be a fool? We've already talked about a fool. Nobody wants to have be a fool. Nobody wants to have no regard for what God says. You know what God does use people to speak into life sometimes, you know. Right? So we determined that he's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. You guys get that? And don't let me be that person. Abigail wasted no time. I mean, as soon as she got the news, she did that, that, that her husband was an idiot. By the way, the, the secondary hero of the story was the guy that came to Abigail and told him. There's a couple heroes right here. Just nobody. Right now, he's not mentioned by name. But he's the one that came to Abigail and said, hey, old boy's about to come down and get whooped down. You might want to do something about it. So really, we have two heroes in the story that are unsung. The guy with no name came to Abigail. Now, Abigail is actually the hero of the story. Okay? Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> she wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 figs, and on and on and on. You get the point that it was easy to find. It wasn't like, oh, where did I hide that loaf of bread? It was like there was stuff everywhere. The guy had a surplus of stuff. 
You know, in America, we have so much stuff. Have you noticed the quickest uh, growing businesses is the storage sheds? I mean, we're, we're, Carlin said this 40 years ago, but it's actually gotten worse. There's like 10 to 1 now. People have an abundance in America that we're materialistic. That's what we are, right? How about gifts of stuff away? You have too much stuff. Why drop it in the locker and never look at it? You're not usually give it to somebody. You don't put it to use. So anyway, this guy had all this stuff. He's laying around. It's just, and then he's the one that said, I'm not getting David squats. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me, even if one man of his household is still alive in the morning. Now, it doesn't sound like the same David we had in the chapter before. Isn't that good news, though? Because if David got a ride all the time, these people got a ride all the time, we'd be like, man, I, I, I'll kill him too. Thank you, Skill. We think. My, my favorite thing is that it, on Tombstone, Doc Holliday played a great character. You know, played by, uh, what the dude's name? Val Kilmer. Neat fellow, too, by the way. He, he's gotten more humble over the years because he was afflicted. Watch his latest. Um, documentary on his life. He's actually become very humble. Thank God for affliction. We'd all be so arrogant. We'd all go straight to hell. Mm-hmm. Affliction brings humility, right? It brings us to our needs. Helps me see my need for thee, right? So I think of this, this uh, scene in there where uh, Val Kilmer is with this girl there. And Val Kilmer has terrible discernment. He'll put a hole in you just for nothing. Should I shoot him? No big deal. Though so he had a moment of he was thinking about this, and he goes, did I hate him, honey? And she said something, though. I, I, a lot of times, I've said it numerous times, <coughs> Linda's acted like a quasi-Holy Spirit, because a lot of times I have to ask her, should I kill that guy? I really feel like I should at least maybe just run him off the road. <laughs> something. Oh, no. You know, we need counsel. In the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. If David would have simply gone to one of his men, God-fearing men, and said, we shouldn't be going into this camp. Look, we just spared Saul's life, and this guy does a little insult, won't feed you. Now you're going to go wipe out like all these men? Not only are you not going to kill the king, you're going to kill all these innocent men? And that following Saul, you're acting more like Saul than you do God at this particular point, right? <clears throat> I remember when we moved to this church. Uh, remember the old church? And physically, the building was tired. Right? We wanted to buy the building. Okay. It was an understatement. Yeah. But we loved the building. We loved it. I mean, it was our home for three or four years or whatever, right? But, you know, when we decided to, to move, we wanted to do three things that factor into decisions that are weighty. Maybe David should have. Number one. Get some counsel. In the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom, right? So we brought in some people, some experts. John Scorfina, for instance, the guy that just uh, went to home to Jesus about two months ago. We brought him in, and his, his chief inspector, some big shot guy, came in, and I don't know how many of you guys saw the report 
on this building? Like, that's all. I mean, it was like this, of the things that were wrong with the building. So we're thinking, okay, well, that's cool. We have that. So we had the council for this decision. And then we said, okay, that we kept praying about it. And every road we go, the Holy Spirit was just, no, it's not for you. It was too, you know. So we had, we had the council. We had the witness of the Holy Spirit in this big decision to move from Wright City, that was the Wright City, to get some Jesus. Now we're in Warrington. We still don't have a 50 saying. Warrington is the, whatever, but people are getting saved. So we had, a, we had the council. We had the witness of the Holy Spirit. The last thing to confirm was what? The word. What the word says. So we got together. And I remember, <clears throat> I was like, man, I, I just want to stay because it's, you see, it's easy. I'm comfortable. We don't have to go out to the great unknown. You know, God operates on the edge of the faith zone. He's right out there on, the, on that wave. You can get behind it, or you can ride it. I think we're riding it now, evidenced by people getting saved in Uganda. I could get saved in India. I all the good stuff happened in Wisconsin, and the good stuff happening here, right? So we know, we believe we're in the sweet spot. We've been in front of you, we've been behind it, we've been crashed up on a beach, we've been all over the map with this thing. This is part of the journey. So anyway, that day, I'm reading in a word. And I love right city. Yeah, it's kind of dumb, but I love right city. Anyway. And I'm reading in the Word. And I'm in the back of my mind, and I haven't done this enough, but I've done it on waiting decisions. Lord, I have this answer. This is the big decision that it, I need to hear from you. To know if we should leave where I want to stay. I want to stay here. I don't want to go to Warrington. Who would? Girls <laughs> like shaking said, yeah, I don't blame you, dog. <laughs> So I remember reading in the account, I think it was the book of John, when God says, and, I, and remember, this decision, what should we do? Should we go? Should we stay? And I remember reading, it's, when you were young, you went where you wanted to do. You did what you, but when you were old, you would go to a place that you do not want to go. And I was like, bam. Call up Barry, we got to go. Call the team, we got to go. Call the realtor, do, and that's, so David, if he just would have done that, he wouldn't have been in this situation. Because can you imagine if David went in there? King David. Yeah. I mean, he would have killed them all. So Abigail came and cut him off the path. She was the person that said, stop. She was acting as a holy, quasi-Holy Spirit. Stop. The restrainer. You know, the Bible says when, when we're evac'd out here, however that goes down, I believe we're going to be raptured. But I'm preparing my faith just in case I have to stuff and you should be doing it too because nobody really knows I'm preparing my faith should we have to go through some serious turbulence right but can you imagine what it's going to look like when the restrainer is gone the Holy Spirit has left the planet you guys think it's bad now imagine like Samuel evac in a sense and, and give free reign to Saul that's really what's going to happen when, 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 when the Holy Spirit leaves, the church is evacuated out. All hell, literally, is going to break loose on this planet. Like, you you think, yeah, and Barry alluded to it a few weeks ago, it's getting worse. And I agree. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. And it's getting worse. But can you imagine with no Holy Spirit and the church gone? Let it just, it will be bad. 
When Abigail saw, saw David, she quick, I'm going I'm to, here's what we're going to do, guys, because I want to finish this. I'm going to blow through pretty quick, okay? But I'm going to hit on the good stuff. It's all good stuff, for sake of time. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got up her donkey and bowed low before him. It's a good example of what we should all do in the presence of Jesus. Go low. He's high. You're not. We hope you're not. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Now I have to qualify this these days. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. There's a position that we should take when we come to Jesus. Go low. Go to the front of the table and you can be moved up. You come to the head of the table, you might be embarrassed. Go low. Stay humble. She did it right. Right? She probably assumed that David's probably a little bit of a bad man. Okay. I accept all blame in this matter, my lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young girl. I never even saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, surely as, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you. The Lord will surely reward you with the lasting dynasty as you are fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong for your entire life. Stop that right there. So here's David. He's fighting the Lord's battle. Guess what? Guess who Saul's fighting? He completely forgot about anything for the Lord. He's obsessed in tunnel vision and to getting David back. Right? And so David's about to fall into the same trap that Saul that you've been, you're replacing Saul, and you're doing the same thing that he did. Sometimes we get so tunnel vision into one particular thing, who knows what it is, and you lose the bigger picture. That's why you go back to what we said earlier get your counsel around, get the witness of the Holy Spirit, and keep yourself from getting bogged down, and again, be like Rusty. Thank you. I'm just going to say that from now on. And when I say be like Rusty, it's unloading your junk that's slowing you down. Even when you're being chased by those who seek to kill your life, it's safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. There's a Hebrew saying that I think is so cool. It's on most of the Jewish graves. It's on a lot of Jewish graves even today. It's called Bound in the Bundle of that means you are safe in God's hands. You know, when you go out and ride your motorcycle, you ride your motorcycle or whatever, your cars or whatever, you know when you're following Jesus, your life is in the palm of his hands. It's a great place to be. Nothing can happen to you that doesn't go through him first. We're making the assumption you're not on the right field. Not a great place to be. I'd rather be right in the bundle, right in the bundle, right, just right there. Just love it. great? I mean, really, this is what's happening. Don't, this is not just a metaphor. God is literally holding you in the palm of his hand, even right now. Isn't it great in your kids, in your grandkids? It's great. So she's recognizing that David, he's held you all of these years, and she's bringing his mind to, I'm probably saying, all the stuff you've been through, and you're going to go do this thing. Kind of like Alpha was saying. You've been, you've been through all of this Goliath, and all of these things, all this stuff, and you're going to go do that? You just spared Saul's life. Everybody would know this. And you're going to go do this. It's crazy. 
when the Lord has done all he promised and made you leader of Israel, right? Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of leafless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me. Your servant. Now David said, get lost. I'm a bad son of a gun. I got these 600 guys over here following me. Did he do that? He simply took the correction. He didn't get all worked up. Man, you're the worst. You're the worst. In fact, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit this whole thing. Get on this little horse and ride away? No. He humbled himself. You humble yourself. You're exalted. David replied to him, praise the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you to meet me today. He recognized it wasn't Abigail, it was God working through Abigail. It wasn't us weak of counsel people, it was God working through us, not to run your life and to hurt you, but to simply help you get back on track. I have it in my life. Don't I, Pete? We need it, don't we? Barry's constantly correcting me. I have Barry and I have Pete and Ted and Josh and all these guys speaking into my life. Martin. I could go on and on, Danny. Danny, I could just go, God, you know, come on, it's great, isn't it? And I think about that being hidden in the bundle. Maybe you need people. Perhaps. A community of believers you can share your thoughts with and care about you. That's kind of being in the bundle of this. It's funny because I can tell when a message gets long. You know why? This kind of like. So I'm close there, but I'm not ready to land the plane. Okay, fellas. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I I have what? Heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found the ball throwing a big party, and he was celebrating like a king, like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning when no the ball was sober, his wife told him what happened. I'm going to say one little thing real quick. I have a friend of mine um, that was a crossroads of sorts. He was a, a former um, 1% center, and then he became a Christian. Uh, he quit the club and he got out good. He was able to turn his cut back in, and they, he had a relationship. Right? Uh, so I just talked to him last week about this. And he said uh, there was some talking back and forth again with former club that he rode with, and they were considering reinstating him, okay? Even to the point where they actually had a cut and a title to a motorcycle placed in front of them saying, if you just join here, uh, you can have this, you can have your cut back, and you can um, have this motorcycle, nice one, and then it'd be great. He said he got, he was riding together with them, going to church, what they were called, back to their little house, clubhouse thing. And the Holy Spirit convicted him, and he peeled off and threw the peace on God. And it was cool. But I'm thinking at that point, I asked him a question. Romans 8, 6 says, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. I asked him, let me ask you a question about that. When you made the decision to go God's way, did you feel like a rush of grace, just like the Holy Spirit, like blowing you on your way, like something that you can't really describe it without over-spiritualizing? Did you see? He goes, I can't tell you. I felt best in the spiritual sense I have in years. You're given opportunities that you come right up to a, a, a situation and God's saying, I've done all I can do. The next move is yours. 
I'm with you wherever you go. The psalmist says that. Depths and heights. I get this. But this is your decision. What do you want? Right? And when you choose, the best thing I can describe is like a, like a grace sweeps over you. It's really unexplainable. When you choose. It'd be, and I know people that have come to it and they want God to make the choice for them. Like the children of Israel when they come to the Jordan River and God says, put your foot in the water and watch it well up. And I see people go there, well, God did well the waters up. He told you to put your foot in. He told you you have to make a choice. When you make a choice, then it opens up and you can pass through, right? So my friend did that. And, and we believe that God is blowing grace back into him. And he's going to be reinstated in the Lord's arm. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's a good time to give the Lord a hand clap because it's a big deal. When, when one finger comes out. And I told him I'd like to share that uh, this weekend. He said, praise God, go for it. Actually, he said, in the morning when Naval was sober, don't talk to drunks, guys. Don't even bother. Let him sober up before he tries to speak words of life and truth into him, right? I won't talk to a drunk. I say, if, you, if you're still in the sink, call me in the morning. I just don't want to talk to drunks. It's my, my personal thing. And I think it's a, it's a smart thing. So Abigail said, I'm going to wait until he's sober. He won't remember anything anyway. Because it's the spirit, you see. As a result, he had a stroke. He lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. Then just his mind, thus saith the Lord, right? If David would have took matters into his own hands, first of all, he would have been, uh, who knows what might have happened. We can surmise it would have been really bad, right? So he chose to sit back, let God do it. And I think there are some sometimes that we want to help God out. We should just sit back and let God be God. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground. I, your servant, would be happy to I would even be willing to become a slave washing the feet of his servants. Wow, talk about humility. Abigail. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to land the plane. But you know the Proverbs 31 books, and the Proverbs 31, there are placards on the wall, and there are all of this stuff. But read Proverbs 31, ladies. And men, too. Um, but that, you know, we, we've kind of watered it down with placards and stuff, I think, sometimes. You know, we've overdone it. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to, but. If you read the words to what that says, that's what God sees as beautiful. The Proverbs 31 woman was And that was Abigail. Very humble. Quickly getting ready, she took five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted a donkey, and went with David's messengers, and so she became his wife. David also married Ahonam from Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michal, Michal, David's wife to a man from Gallim named Palti, son of Laish. <laughs> What'd you guys get tonight? You like Rusty? <laughs> Keep short accounts with God. If you blow it, if you fess up, if you mess up, mess up. 
Finds a brothers or sisters who say, hey, I'm struggling over here. I can't, I can't seem to get it right. And they'll say, join the crowd. Why don't we go take it to the Lord? And uh, maybe he'll clean us up. Maybe he'll sheer us up. And then we can move on to travel lightly, right? Don't get bogged down with junk. Don't let people put labels on you. The only label you need to know is the label that Jesus puts on you. My dearly beloved, that's what he calls you. Right? Not all the stuff the world calls you. We're not that. May have been that. When you crossed over the depth of life, you became a new creation, something I'm talking about. Father God, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you that you made a way when there was no way for us, Lord. We pray tonight as people are of faith in this community, Lord, we pray that we would go out and impact the world for Jesus for now and all of eternity, Lord. We pray for Cranthy and, and Pastor Babu and Nafuna and Ais and, and Don up in Wisconsin and all his team, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing just in this small band of believers. Lord, we also lift up the universal church at large around the world, in our communities, in our country, Lord. We pray for the leadership of our country, Lord. We pray that even now, if that revival is happening, we pray we would see it. We thank you for the young people today and the graduating class. I think there were 34 people that apparently seem to be sold out for Jesus. Thank you for the righteous rights. Young people coming in and sharing some time with us tonight. We thank you for what you've done in the McPherson's and all these, these lives, the Joneses, we could go on, the Sliders and and the Webers and all these people, that the Kellers, we could go on and on as the testimonies of the Lord. We're surrounded by witnesses like this, Lord. So we pray that we would go out and shine for you, the author, perfecter of our faith, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.